Man, I, I am, I'm excited to get to stand with you, you guys tonight, uh, talk about something, um, something pretty immense when you think about it. It's this idea of, of what is the most essential, what is the most important thing in this life that can't be taken away from us. And everyone's got a viewpoint about it. But when I think about my story, when I think about my storyline through my entire life, I've, I've seen things come and go. I've seen fashion come and go. I've seen people come and go. And there's always something that kind of stands there. And from a, from a big level, from a large level, I can see how God has held on to me my entire life. How God chose me, how he pursued me, and how he's held me and how he's kept me. And I've punched and I've wrestled and I've kicked and I've screamed. When I sing prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, it's, it's, I mean it. Like I'm, I, I can feel my heart always want to wander away from the God who made me. I wrestle the God that made me, the God that I, I'm actually in love with. I wrestle with him and fight him. And I can see from this big picture, though, how he's kept me and how he's sovereign, which is a, which is a big word, meaning he's over everything. I can see from a big level that he's, he's been faithful to me when I've been faithless. I can see how he is love, um, despite my lack of love for him. I see all these giant things. But every time, every single time, in the last 25 years that I've walked with God, and I'm only 26, so that's most of my life. But every single time in my walk with God, when I get to a place in a day or a week, or a month that's not smooth, that's frustrating, that's upsetting, where there's a loss, where there's a brokenness, where there's a pain point, where there's, I've frustrated someone, or uh, someone sees me as less than I would like for them to see me, or uh, a friend walks away, Uh, whatever it is, every single time, all those big ideas of his sovereignty, and his faithfulness, and his goodness, and his love, I start to second guess it. And it's amazing. So every time I second guess, I start to think, what is, what is it all about? What is my faith toward? What am I walking toward? Who am I walking toward? What is, was it, what does it all come down to how I'm getting through this life? Because there was a feast where everything broke and there's a feast coming where everything's going to be put right. But I'm in the middle of this place trying to walk it out. And so what is it when everything breaks just for a moment or a season or a year or a decade? What is it that I do? Now, everyone's kind of searching for this. I found a great quote um, uh, from a lady named Amanda Gore. I just kind of Googled. I'm really smart like this. I Googled what is the most important thing in life. And uh, this, is what, this is what came up. There is one thing that underpins everything in your life. Yes, Everything. There's an exclamation mark there. That's why I said it like that. What could it be? Money? No. Despite what you think, as long as you have enough so you can eat and have shelter and pay for essentials, money is not a factor. Enjoy. Is it health? To some degree, yes. But this other thing that we're about to say impacts your health dramatically. Is it family? Is that the most important thing? No. They help but they don't affect everything. Is the most important thing position or status in life? No, that's just a label anyway. The one thing that underpins all areas in your life is how you feel about yourself. 
That's what she says. How you feel about yourself. Now, if that's the truth, then I've got a lot of amazing problems, very intricate issues, because the fluctuations of how I feel about myself through the years, and even in the last 15 minutes, how I felt about myself fluctuates so much as we're singing. I'm like, oh, this is good. And I'm like, I'm about to stand up there, and then I'm scared. And so the, the feelings of fluctuations on how we feel about ourselves, man, this cannot be, this cannot be the most important thing in life. So I'm going to invite you guys to stand up with me um, together. Here we go. You guys are like, seriously? Because every human heart in here, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, you're a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, or you're just an Oklahoma City Christian, which we don't even know what that means. You just kind of float in the midst of everything. And no matter where we are tonight, we got to stop and look at Jesus, not as just cultural Christians, but as human beings that need their heart unfolded tonight. Everybody needs to hear what we're about to hear. We can't hear it enough. And so together, I want to invite us to read this passage about Martha and Mary out of Luke 10. So hang with me. I'll set the pace. You guys read up there, and we'll read it together. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Amen. Thanks be to God. You guys have a a seat. So once upon a time, uh, I had four roommates. That's five roommates all together. And I was a fairly new Christian. I was about 19 years old. God saved me about 17. And, um, and I just, I had, I fluctuated between this intense arrogance and this intense shame. Not a lot of different from how I am now. But um, I, I, I thought to myself, this place is filthy. This place is disgusting. I mean, you should have seen the bathrooms. You, you don't want to have seen the bathrooms. But this place is filthy. And in my deep humility, I decided I'm going to take a month. And I'm just going to clean for everyone. And I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just going to humbly do it because I know that that would please God as I follow along with them. So I cleaned. I cleaned and I cleaned. I cleaned dishes. I cleaned out the shower. And there were several guys losing their hair. And that was disgusting if you ever clean a shower like that. And the toilets were disgusting and everything. But I just, in deep humility... I kept cleaning. I cleaned and I cleaned, and three days went by. <laughs> and no one had said, Charlie, oh my gosh, thank you. You're such a servant. No one stopped and said that to me. And so I just kind of kept cleaning one more day, but I was building up, like, you know when you have that interior discussion and no one is there, you're just driving, and you're like going person after person and yelling at them all these things that you need to say, but they're not there, and then you look over and you see someone, you're like, hey. I'm starting to have these conversations as I'm cleaning. And then so I decide, you know what? No one cares what I'm doing, so I'm just going to stop. And so I stopped, and a couple days went by, 
And everything got nasty again. I mean, really nasty. And I remember sitting there watching TV, and everyone was gone. And I was watching TV, and I was looking around thinking, this is disgusting. And um, I had one, I had, uh, one roommate that came in the door, and um, he was like a, uh, a bouncer at a bar. Like, the, the man was big. And uh, he stood about six foot four, six foot five. He was, he was a big man, and then he had this incredible mullet. It was a time period thing, so it was cool. But um, the mullet went down back here, and he opened the door, and he didn't even get through the door. He just stopped, and he's like, this place is gross. And I had this plastic chair sitting next to me, as, you, as anybody would, to have a plastic chair sitting next to me. And I picked it up, and I, I didn't even think. I just picked it up and threw it at him. And he stood there, his mullet swinging back and forth. And he looked at me and just started laughing, which made me angrier. But he started laughing, and I thought, man, I've been cleaning this place, and no one said anything. Nobody said anything. And here you come in, and he got in my face, and we had a a, a nice discussion about it. And I fought him like crazy. I say this because... um, as I try to step inside of this scripture, um, we're about to kind of take some caricatures of Mary and Martha. And um, I think a lot of times I tend to want to point at Martha and be like, look at her. She's so busy and distracted like the Lord told her she was. Um, but man, my soul is like hers. My soul, even in this moment, standing up here, um, um, the, uh, the anxiety that I feel of like, I'm too much like her, and yet I'm going to call everyone to be like Mary. And it feels like it it didn't feel right. It feels like, hey, I'm like like the one that Jesus pointed at and said, calm down, you're troubled and and distracted. I'm like that, but what I'm going to ask everyone to do is to slow everything down and sit at the feet of Jesus. So just to draw a little um, um, caricatures of these, these ladies, Martha, like many of us, who actually was the normal one, she is the normal one, she had this feisty soul. I mean, she was stirred up. We don't know why. We don't know what was going on. But she was full of some internal noise. We don't know what was going on. And then she even wanted to busy herself enough to um, distract maybe some, some of the things that were going on inside of her, her mind. There's a potential, I don't know this for a fact, but as I stepped inside of the scripture, I thought, I wonder if she's desiring perfection. I wonder if she's desiring to, like, please Jesus in a way, like, show him that she's good. She was in the kitchen while her sister was at the feet of Jesus, and she was busying herself apart from Jesus. And we know from the scriptures that she had a little temper. We know that she was distracted. We know that she was anxious. We know that she was troubled. And many of us feel all these things. We feel all this anxiety and trouble, and and we want to busy ourselves and distract ourselves. And there's something about this kind of person like me and like Martha that we're, we're running. There's something going on underneath here that it's hard to stop and look at, and we're just not tired enough to stop and look at it. And so one of my first invitations is to all of us in this room, I'm going to invite you guys to, to open your hearts as I walk through this passage a little bit further and ask the Holy Spirit, even now under your breath and in your heart and in your mind, Holy Spirit, point out what's going on in my heart. 
What's going on under the hood? What's happening in me that I'm, I'm not quite ready to face? Now here's Mary. She's the present heart. And I don't know what was going on with her, but she postured herself in humility at the feet of Jesus. That's, that's in the scripture. She was present with Jesus. She stopped everything to be with Jesus. Her face-to-face time and her posture of sitting at his feet revealed some sort of loving, deep, communal relationship. There was maybe potentially, maybe she understood what she needed. Maybe she was at the end of herself and she's like, Jesus is in the room. I'm at the end of myself. That's where I'm going to sit. I don't want to romanticize it and think, oh, there's, there's, Mary, there's crazy Martha and there's awesome Mary. And there she was. But maybe she was just busted up, broken at the end of herself. And she decided to get rid of her to-do list and get rid of all of her producing and sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, when you do that, when you, when you fast your life, not just food, but you fast your, your to-do list and your productivity and all these things, when you fast all that and you sit at the feet of Jesus, you turn fasting into feasting. There's a difference. It takes everything and it moves everything aside, not just because you're t- you want to move everything aside, but because you want to feast on Jesus. And that's what she did. Getting life from Jesus alone is the essential, most necessary thing. Because this is sitting at the feet of Jesus in humility, listening to his words, wash over your story or your moment, because it's the most essential thing, it's worth fighting for. And everything fights against it. There's three things. There's three big things that fight against it. There's thousands of things that fight against it. But here's three big ones. Three thieves. The first one is religion. Religion does this crazy thing. It puts this heavy weight around you and me, and it makes us work. It makes us show off. It makes us, it makes us try to prove that, that we're worth something to God when he's already done all that work. Religion is this weight, and let me just say it does some crazy things. It makes us control, try to control everything around us to prove our goodness. We care more about our reputation than we're supposed to to try to uh, show how right we are. We demand success because we want to get something out of it. We are always presenting the, the best, most ideal self of us and leaving all of the shadowy, dark stuff down here so that we can always put on the, be- the best face, the best costume. We're very intent about moral discipline because we want to be better than everybody else. We want to be the ones that are able to look down and go, they're not doing quite as well as I am. This is religion, and it is heavy. And I know some of you may have slipped in here and you thought, man, I'm here to get religion. And that's not what you're here for. That's not what your heart needs. It's not what your soul needs. You need this union and this communion with Jesus because religion is a heavy weight. We've got a, a, a man that we really, uh, really love to hear the things he says, and he describes religion like this. Religion bases acceptance on obedience. It motivates through fear. It demands a comfortable life as payment while behavior is good. It hates criticism because it comes against ideal self. It prays in order to control circumstances. 
It has a self-view that swings between opposing poles of pride and shame. It feels superior and looks down on those who appear lazy or less moral. It manufactures idols around external successes, appearances, control, talent, social status, or discipline. Now, this is, this is a hard one to raise your hand and be like, yeah, that's me. That's me. But we're a mixed bag of these things. I've got a lot of that going on. And when I put it all in one place, I was like, man, I'm, I'm actually so much like Martha. And I, I've got so much religion inside of me and so much proving that I have going on all the time. Man, there was this, this man uh, in 1838... He wrote a, uh, a poem. I'm going to read you just a little section of it. And it's a relief for the religious. It's, this is beautiful. Run and work, the law commands. Yet finds me neither feet nor hands. But sweeter news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and lends me wings. The law says, do all these things but I'm not going to help you at all. The grace in the gospel and what Jesus has done says, come and fly, and I'm going to give you everything you need to do it. It's amazing. So the first thing that is a thief of the most essential thing that we need in this life, sitting at the feet of Jesus, is religion. And the reason why it's a thief is because when we are religious, we think we have no needs. Why would I need to go sit at the feet of Jesus and let his words wash over my story. I've done everything. I'm doing everything. I have no needs, and it's a thief. The second thief is sin and brokenness. Sometimes we talk about brokenness in a way that we want to cover the concept of sin, but sin is actually what creates brokenness. If I'm addicted, if I'm depressed, if I'm, um, if I'm isolating, all these things are brokennesses that come from sin. There was a moment that, that sin rushed into, into the world and changed everything for us. And then from now on, we sin against ourselves, we sin against each other, and it just constantly is breaking things, breaking things, breaking things. So the second thief is sin and brokenness. And this is kind of part of what it does. The first thing that came to my mind is, man, it, it messes with my identity. Like when I'm standing in sin before Jesus, I didn't quite know who I was. And even post-Jesus, sometimes if brokenness sets in too far, I start to go, who am I? Who am I? What am I doing? Another question it makes, me, it makes us do is, do I belong here? It makes us lose home. We have no place. We, we, we don't know where we fit. We don't know who we are or where we fit. It's what sin and brokenness can do. Sin and brokenness can make you feel like two different people. Sin and brokenness can, can cut you in, in half and you start to kind of move toward this direction in your most broken moments and you move toward this direction in your, bro, in your, in your best moments. Sin and brokenness clouds the lines of who we are and what we do. And one of the biggest things it does, it makes us fear if anyone looks inside if anyone peels back the curtains and they look inside, it creates this deep anxiety and fear or shame. I don't want to be seen for who I really am. I don't want to be seen like that. 
And when you're existing in sin and brokenness, you're afraid. And so you desire distraction and you desire numbing and you want to run as fast as you can. And just like the first two people, they covered themselves. They covered themselves and they hid. And that's what we want to do. The third thing, real briefly, is um, a thief that steals from the most essential, the most necessary, the most beautiful, profound thing, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words. The third thief is, is the world. And the world is a symbol for the systems of thinking, the systems of power, the systems of our cultures um, that are void of meaning of God. It's these systems that create noise. They create noise and sight that distract us and that demand our ears and our attention and our hearts from everything but the most essential, most important thing is sitting at the feet of Jesus. The world systems would be something like busyness. When I'm really busy, and I've been really busy for a long time, and I really, really want to sit at the feet of Jesus, but there's something I'm getting from busyness. I don't have to stop and look under the hood. I don't have to stop and look in my heart. I'm just busy. And actually, it feels good sometimes until I stop for a second and I start to hear there's some stuff off. Part of the world system that steals from the most important, essential, beautiful, profound thing of sitting at the feet of Jesus is like materialism. We don't like to think of ourselves as materialistic, but what materialism does is it puts all of our desires to be uh, seen and feel a certain lifestyle. All those things become so high for us that we're willing to work and work and do and do and get and get, sometimes steal, beg and borrow to look a certain way, to feel a certain way, to create a construct around us that shows people we are a certain thing or we are a certain people or we're a certain group. And man, the world creates um, this uh, amazing thing that steals from every single one of us called entertainment. I love entertainment. I love it. But the world creates it in a way and uses it in a way when we, when we don't want to look under the hood, when we want to be distracted, entertainment is a quick place to run to. Put it in our ears, put it in our eyes, put it, put it everywhere, and it's going to distract us. The world says for you and I to build our lives and be our own gods. That's what it tells us to do. Now listen to this passage out of 1 John. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. It's passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Listen to this. If the world and all of its systems and all of its desires are passing away, then it can't be the most essential thing that we need. If, if you're religious and you can prove that you've got everything right, then there's no need for you to sit in front of God. If you're broken and sin has overtaken you and you're so full of shame that you don't want to be seen for who you are, for where you are, for the moment that you're in, then you've got no reason to go sit at the feet of God, the most essential thing. 
If you love this world and its systems, then you think, and I think, that we're God and we can do everything that we need. There's no need in those three ways to sit at the feet of God and listen to his voice and let his life crash over your story. There's no reason. But what Jesus says is that it is the incorruptible thing. It's, it's the thing that can't be taken away from you and me. And I know that most of you are sick of things being taken away from you by purpose or by accident. You're tired of it. And here's one thing that can't be taken away from you in this life. Jesus himself said it's the most essential. It's the most important thing. And it's loving union with God in Jesus. That's the thing that can't be taken away. Loving union. It's where we offer full access to our heart and life. Not just skimming access, but full access. It's where we place ourselves in front of God in the most vulnerable way because he already sees, he already knows. And I've heard before that vulnerability is the willingness to be wounded. It's not just being like, I'm really vulnerable. I'm really open. I say lots of things that come to my mind. That's not vulnerability. It's kind of scary when I say everything that comes to my mind. But vulnerability is opening yourself to a place in front of God in Jesus where he sees in and you let him see in and you're saying, I'm willing to be a little wounded by you today, God. This loving union and communion understands that we become what we behold. We become what we behold, so our intention is to stop beholding all these other things and behold Jesus. This most essential thing is the return over and over to our union with Jesus, hearing over and over his knock on the door and for that invitation for him to come in, sit down, and feast. And this fellowship that we have with him is free. That's the craziest thing. He's not demanding anything from you. He's saying, come to me like you are. It's the thing that can't be taken away from you anymore. Fellowship is free. That's the incorruptible thing. So, if there's three things that steal from this one most essential thing that is incorruptible, it's worth the fight. And I just want to give you a couple thoughts, remind you that it's worth fighting for, And even as I say it, I get sad that I haven't fought for it as much as I'd like to, as much as I need to. But we have to fight for this thing. And I want to tell you why. Why do you want to fight for sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his words? And by the way, it says, be quiet. It says she sat quietly at the feet of Jesus. It's not easy. I want to talk to God and tell him everything that he's taught me and everything I know. But here's why it's important. Man, follow me, human beings, because I know where you are. I know what goes on in your head. I know what goes on in my heart. Listen why it's so important to fight for this. Jesus reminds us of who he is and his work to bring us to God. That's really beautiful. I know you hear that a lot, but that's really beautiful. Jesus reminds us, secondly, who he's made us to be and the life that's been given us. How beautiful it is for you to be quiet at the feet of Jesus and him to go, remember, 
you're my son, and I'm your home. That's powerful. That'll change your day. The reason why we want to fight to be at the feet of Jesus is he silences the lies and he weeps over your tragedies. And that's really what we need sometimes. The voices in my head and in your head, the lies that we hear are loud. And sitting at the feet of Jesus is the most essential thing because that's where he speaks truth back into you and you can feel him weep over the tragedies. Another thing is why we want to fight for this is because he sends us to love people outside of our world, outside of this building, outside of our family. He sends us back out. He shows us who our family really is. And man, this is beautiful. For those, of, for those who are in Christ and for those who came in this room seeking to wonder what is this thing they call Jesus, Christianity, Jesus brings dead things to life. Now, it, it is us spiritually dead, and he brings us to life in that. But it's also all these places that have grown colder and dimmer, more numb, a little at a time. You don't even know what to do with it anymore. Stepping back into the most essential thing that cannot be taken away from you, setting in front of Jesus, quiet. He brings dead things to life. Nothing can steal you from God's hand, my friends. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. But sin and brokenness, religion, where you think you can do it all, and the world, being your own God, can interrupt and disrupt your communion with God. So you've got to fight, and it's worth it. Now, before I move on too fast, it's a romantic idea to go, okay, I'm going to go sit at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to listen. That's cool. I like that. But then the question is like, well, what does that mean? You know, there's people out there that are like, sounds good, but the little man up there doesn't know what he's talking about. He's sitting at the, he, Jesus is not here. Man, I'm just going to give you seven little things. There's thousands. I mean, if we took a, if we took a, a uh, what do you call it? A poll. Thank you. You're so smart with those big words. If we took a poll, we would find so many ways that people spend time with Jesus. I'm just going to mention a few, a few little practical ones, because I'm inviting you guys to fight for the most essential thing, and then I just want to give you a handful of ways to do it, to put yourself in that place at the feet of Jesus. One is just make a time and a place to intersect with God. It's like, where do I start? Make a time and a place. Number two is when you get to that time and your place, your no, your, the noise in your head is louder sometimes than the noise out here. So find a place where the noise out here quiets and the noise in here, you can start to put your mind upon things above, on things of God. Number three is just start with asking maybe a little question, maybe something that you're struggling with. Maybe, uh, man, God, what do you want to speak to my family this week? What, how do you want me to stand in my work this week? Ask a question and then be quiet. Number four, I love this. This is, 
This can go on and on. But praying a scripture. You take a scripture, like the Lord's Prayer, like Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If you take some time, just take Psalm 23. Stop and go, the Lord's my shepherd. And then start unfolding that to God. Like, what does that mean? Man, you're my shepherd. You, you take care of me. You, you watch over me. You, you're so good to my heart. My heart's wandering away, and you're, you're not afraid to pull me back in. That's just a, a simple taking the scriptures and walking through them and praying them back to him. Number five is uh, put yourself inside the story. So a lot of times I'll read the Gospels, and I'll put myself inside of the story. It's not any different than what I've done tonight. I got inside of the story of Mary and Martha and Jesus and their interaction, and I just tried to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me to see all the different ways so that I can look on Jesus and fall in love more. Because I don't want to just talk about Mary, how great she was, and Martha, how crazy she was. I want to set inside this story. So put yourself inside the story and notice the attributes of Jesus, how beautiful he is, how amazing he is. And then set yourself inside of Mary and see where she might have been and where she was and what the Lord was saying to her and put yourself in place of Martha and do the same thing. Number six, real quick, easy one. A lot of you guys have grown up with this, but man, I don't want to just throw it away because it's old. There's this, there's this real simple uh, an acronym called ACTS, A-C-T-S. Just take that and you run down it. A, adoration. Take f- three, five minutes and just adore Jesus. Uh, C, confession. We try to practice that here each week just to confess and say, God, I've offended you. I've been against you. I've walked against you in these ways. And you just confess. T, thanksgiving. Man, I can't tell you, when I stop and I just become grateful and just thankful and I just say thank you for the things in my life that you're doing so wonderfully, so beautifully. Thank you for this last year. I can just look at your blessing and, and, and your work in my life through this whole thing. Just stop and be thankful. And the last one is big words, supplication. It just means bring all your needs to him and just lay them out. Say, God, I, I don't know what to do here. I really do, I have to pay this bill next month and it's not coming. Will you provide for me because you are my shepherd and you provide. And the last one, number seven, is because I know that there's still a busyness in our life. I just want to encourage you. There, there's a, um, a monk called Brother Lawrence and he, was, he had a different kind of work um, at the monastery than the other monks did. He had to wash dishes all the time. And so his meditation and his heart and his prayer, his prayer time, it had to go along with his work externally with his hands. And so some of you guys, you're a teacher, you're a construction worker, you're, a, you're this or you're that, but prayer doesn't have to stop. It's not just this 5, 10, 30-minute moment in the morning and it's like, oh, man, I overslept and now I can't spend time with God. No, you, you, God is all the time. And you just keep that conversation moving. And then you turn it to silence, and then you pray a scripture, and you walk with him, and you listen to him all throughout the day. All right. Just in some closing, you and I, we are religious. We try to do it all. We try to prove it all. There's so much inside of us that's showing God all the time that we can do it and that we're worth keeping. I want to tell you, God, I am worth keeping. You made a good choice when you chose me, and I'm going to show you over and over. 
And secondly, we're not just religious, we're broken. Sin has corrupted this world, and we've chosen sin. We've been born into sin. People sin against us, and it's breaking everything. And we're in this world. The systems of this world, the powers of this world, the cultures of this world are constantly yanking on our hearts. That's all of us. But also, if you are in Christ, you are not just broken. You're also a son or a daughter of the resurrection. And in that, in that resurrection, he's given you the Holy Spirit and he's given you the power and the choice to do the most essential, most important thing that can't be taken away from you. And that's the place of sitting at the feet of Jesus, quietly listening to the words of God wash over you. I want to read a quote from Charles Spurgeon. This is for all of us. It's, the wisest must become fools to learn of him. We don't know everything. The most educated and cultured mind must submit to the further culture or else it is nothing but a barren waste in his sight. One thing is a necessity to us all, high or low, rich or poor, queen or beggar. We must sit at Jesus' feet. It is infinitely needed in life for peace and in death for rest. Well, I don't know where each one of us are tonight, but I want to put up this passage. It's uh, Philippians 3, and it starts in 7. And I just want to remind us that Jesus is worth everything. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. It's worth fighting for. The most essential thing is worth fighting for. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is worth every pain and loss. He's worth more than any gain or victory. Being found in him, knowing him and resurrection and suffering, being his, he is the prize and the goal of this life and the life to come. He's more precious than gold. He's the goal. He's the center. He is the essential. He is the most necessary. He is everything we need in this life. It's worth fighting for. It's worth pushing all those thieves away, the thieves of religion and sin and brokenness in this world system. It's worth fighting for for everything. And there's something going on underneath the hood. There's something happening. And when we're stopping and when we're quiet 
And when we're in front of the most essential thing, then things start to come into place. They start to find their healing. They start to find their alignment. And so in closing, I'm going to invite us to stand together. And we're going to read something together. And I'm going to invite you guys to posture yourself with your hands out. This is just, an, it's a beautiful ancient posture that says, I am open, I receive. And that may not be where everyone is tonight. And if you're not there, don't be afraid to not hold your hands out. But read this with me. And all of us are going to own all of this. For me, the religious, one thing is necessary. For me, the workaholic, one thing is necessary. For me, the addicted, one thing is necessary. For me, the overextended, one thing is necessary. For me, the overentertained, one thing is necessary. For me, the overconcerned, one thing is necessary. For me, who fears missing out, one thing is necessary. For me, the troubled, anxious, angry, distracted heart, one thing is necessary. And that is sitting at the feet of Jesus, letting the living words of God wash over our stories, reminding us who we are, and sending us into the world to lift the bread and the wine. I think Jesus, when he looked at Martha, and he said, Martha's ticked off that Mary's not in there helping her. And she's like, hey, Jesus, yell at her with me. And, he, and Jesus says, Martha, you're in trouble. You're distracted. You're anxious. Something is going on. He didn't turn to her. I don't know how you see him saying it, but for years, I've heard him say it. Martha, Martha, so troubled and anxious. <laughs> Mary chose the good part. I don't know why I hear Jesus like that. I think what he did was he looked at Martha and he said, probably tears in his eyes because he saw past her busyness. He saw past her anger. He saw past how she's reacting to Mary. And he's like, oh my God. I don't, oh me. I don't know. What has happened? What got stolen from you? What's making you so anxious, so angry, so troubled? What's making you separate yourself from me in the kitchen trying to show off of this beautiful meal? Why are you, why are you separating yourself from me? Man, what, see what Mary's doing? She chose something really good. It's never going to be taken from her. And I know that's what you want. I know you want something that can't be stolen from you. And this is it, sitting at the feet of God hearing his words, wash over your story, reminding you who you are. That's what it is. And it's what I need. It's what everyone in this room needs, whether you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a Christian in here today, it's what every single one of us needs. Jesus is the most essential thing.